0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today
1: hello and welcome to squawk box here are your headlines world leaders convene an emergency meeting after what appears to be a russian-made missile which kills two people in a Polish city near Ukraine. But U.S. President Biden is cautious on speculation the missile may have originated from Russia.
2: It's unlikely in the minds of the trajectory that it was fired from Russia, but we'll, we'll, we'll see.
1: U.S. markets resume their rally after factory inflation comes in weaker than expected, with producer prices rising 0.2% in October and the September figure revised lower.
0: Former President Donald Trump officially throws his hat into the ring, launching a third bid for the nation's top job and getting a jump on his rivals amid intense scrutiny from within his own party.
3: America's comeback starts right
0: now.
4: And BlockFi could well be the next crypto casualty as the industry lender reportedly prepares to file for bankruptcy. Whilst the CEO of Crypto.com tells CNBC the whole sector has suffered in the wake of FTX's collapse.
5: What worries me is the impact of this collapse of the whole industry. I think it sets us back a good couple of years in terms of the industry's reputation. And all of the players who have to collectively work on transparency and engaging regulators around the world.
4: And we're going to speak to the Ripple CEO, Brad Garlinghouse. That's coming up at 8.45 CET.
0: So we start our coverage this morning with the latest on this missile. NATO allies are investigating an explosion that killed two people in Poland near the Ukrainian border. Polish officials say a Russian-made missile struck a grain facility. Moscow has denied any involvement or responsibility. And President Biden says it looks, quote, unlikely that the missile originated from Russia. Well, the explosion came as Russian forces launched a heavy and widespread missile attack on Ukraine mostly aimed at the country's electrical infrastructure. The Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki spoke with NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg and US President Joe Biden after the attack amid fears that the explosion could provoke a wider conflict and emphasised the importance of getting all the facts. We're now working to establish the causes of what happened and everything that took place during the incident with international experts whom we have invited to our group of experts who have been working at the scene for several hours. We've asked for support of allies with whom we are in constant contact. The Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky says it's only a matter of time before Russia goes further. We were warning about what happened today a long time ago. We talked about it. Terror is not limited to our national borders. It's already spread to the territory of Moldova. And today, Russian missiles hit Poland, the territory of our friendly neighbor. People died. Please accept condolences from all Ukrainian brothers. How many times has Ukraine said that the terrorist state will not be limited to our country?
4: G7 and some NATO allies held an emergency meeting to discuss the incident on the sidelines of the G20 meeting in Bali. The leaders offered their support and agreed to assist Poland's ongoing investigation. An EU statement released after the meeting reaffirmed the group's readiness to hold Russia accountable as they determine the next steps. Well, well, clearly, uh, everyone's now just brushing up on what the various NATO articles are. Uh, And so I thought it might be useful as well to just look at Article 4 and Article 5, which... Funnily enough, I discussed earlier in the year uh, on my visit to Poland as well when, of course, the Baltic nations and indeed a lot of other Eastern European nations were very concerned about Russia's activity in Ukraine and enacted Article 4, which says that member states will consult together when, in the opinion of any of them, territorial integrity, political independence or security of another member is threatened. Clearly, some form of missile landing on Poland's Polish soil uh, could very easily satisfy that concern about territorial integrity, independence and security. Article 5 is another issue as well, which has been enacted very rarely as well. This is one that a lot of people are talking about. This one states in the NATO treaty that they agree that an armed attack against one or more of them in Europe or North America shall be considered an attack against them all. And that one's been enacted very rarely, uh, most notably, of course, uh, after the September 11th attacks in 2001. But let's get a a view from a man who's very close to some of the leaders, the key leaders of NATO and G7. Uh, Martin joins us now from the G20, where this issue has very quickly become front and centre. Martin, good day to you.
3: Absolutely. Good morning, Steve, Jeff, as well as Karen. Now, earlier this morning here in Bali at the G20 Summit, of course, the important work being done here disrupted by that disturbing news that we've been uh, talking about and you've been headlining that uh, missile strike uh, in uh, Poland. And that triggered basically uh, President Joe Biden of the U.S. to convene an emergency meeting of the G7, some NATO members, Japan as well, which is not a NATO member, and some representatives from the EU as well. And this was after his call with President Duda of uh, Poland. After that uh, meeting with the G7 and some NATO members, the president coming out and uh, saying that there may, that that missile may not have come from Russia. Take a listen.
2: And, uh, contest that. I don't want to say that till we completely investigate. But it, it is, uh, I, 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 it's unlikely in the minds of the trajectory that it was fired from Russia. But Vou vou você
3: So it's fair to say that basically everybody is in investigation mode. We know there was an explosion that missile. That explosion was caused by a missile of Russian manufacturer. We do not know yet, uh, uh, definitively, uh, whether it was fired from Russia or by uh, Russia. So that uh, that is uh, where that issue stands. I have to update you on a, a press conference which uh, Turkish President Tayyip Erdogan uh, just held. He was talking to the press, and he said that he respected Russia's position. Russia's come out and denied any responsibility or culpability. Uh, for the uh, missile strike uh, on Poland and Erdogan also saying that as soon as he gets back home to Turkey he's going to be on the phone to Vladimir Putin to talk about this issue as well as the grain deal, the Black Sea grain deal to allow uh, uh, access out exports of uh, wheat and corn uh, which expires or rather is up for renewal on the 19th just two or three days away to see whether they can add on an extra deal that covers fertilizer as well. Much needed to grow wheat as well as corn. Guys, back to you.
1: Marty, thank you very much for the coverage. Much appreciated. Let's continue the conversation with Mikhail Baranowski, who is Senior Fellow and Director of Warsaw Office German Marshall Fund. Mikhail, we are missing a few details here. Who was behind this missile strike in Poland? Why it was conducted and where it was perpetrated from? But just weigh in on the developments that we have to date.
6: Well, we know more than we knew the very last uh, moments of, of of last night when uh, Polish government, Polish president was calling press conference. What we know is that two Polish citizens have been killed uh, by uh, Russian mailed made missiles. Um, it is it is true that both according to President Duda of Poland and President Biden, Uh, It is unlikely to uh, have originated from uh, Russia, Uh, so we don't know whether this was, for example, a missile that has been intercepted um, or an uh, anti-missile defense of of the Ukrainian side. And we also know that NATO will hold today a meeting of the North Atlantic Council that where Poland, at 10 a.m. this morning, where Poland is very likely to ask for consultations under Article 4 that your colleagues mentioned earlier on the show.
1: I want to bring up the timing. We've got the G20 currently being conducted in Bali and we're waiting for some form of a joint communique. But we know Russia very much in the sight of many world leaders at this point as they draft that communique. And Just give us a sense of the timing and how key that is as we talk about this strike today
6: the timing of the uh, attack of course corresponds with the meeting of the g20 but the attack that we know of for sure is not the the attack on poland but attack on ukraine um the yesterday was one of the most intense barrage of attack missile attacks from russia on ukrainian uh, civilian population on ukrainian electrical infrastructure, for example. And that's very, very clear, and that's what the G20 leaders are surely to condemn. And whether the missile originated in Russia or not, what is very clear is that the death of NATO citizens would not have happened if Russia has not waged the war in Ukraine. So in one way or another, either directly or indirectly, Russia is in fact responsible for for the tragedy that we are now seeing on Polish soil. Again, first that kind of deaths on on NATO territory of this war and really anything that we have seen in the past years.
0: Michael, what, what, what do you think is the appropriate response, um, carefully targeted and um, perhaps proportionate in the circumstances because as you say when all is said and done these are NATO member citizens who have been killed as I understand it Poland already has a couple of Patriot missile systems on its border it also has a a UK supplied uh, defence system. Um, Should there be further defensive technology on the Polish border? Should Ukraine now be supplied with fighter aircraft and other munitions that have so far been held back from being supplied in this war? What do you think is the the right escalation in response to this?
6: Well, step number one, we do need to stay calm and figure out what exactly happened. And this is, this is in fact happening as we speak, investigators are on the side. That's point number one. Point number two is we have to maintain conversation within the alliance, unity within the alliance, and that's why Poland will invoke Article 4 at the 10 a.m. meeting of the North Atlantic uh, Council. Then the decisions will come how NATO responds, what you are asking about. Uh, Yes, Poland has a number of patriot batteries, but right now they are on, on our soil even in the east of the country but right now they are focused around the logistical hub in rzeszów a nice difficult polish name for a for a city where most of the uh, ukrainian refugees are received and also an aid for ukraine is uh fl- flown into but it come there is no question that nato countries poland the baltic states need a serious missile and air defenses right on our borders, more real presence of NATO troops. But it also is very much about Ukraine, as you said, and a missile defense there is something that they have been asking for for a very long time, and we need to provide in bulk rather than in trickle as it has been right now.
4: Mikhail, rather than a a military response, a defensive response at a NATO level, do you think actually the most logical conclusion will be a tightening up of some of the sanctions and perhaps a new round of sanctions? Because they're very porous in parts, these sanctions, with lots of exceptions on various levels.
6: Sanctions are very important and and, uh, it's a a sign of uh, political determination. It's a political signal. And of course, they are now working... When it comes to crippling Russian economy, they have to be maintained. I agree with you that they have to be tightened in order to um, to be effective. But I do not think that this will be um, tied directly to this event. Um, it will be um, it is very much a military uh, event, and something that will have to ha- happen is in the military, domain uh the key really answer will be uh, the key question that is being asked is whether russia intended uh to strike poland or was this a mistake was this an accident Uh, the answer to this question really determines the response of the united west of nato of poland of the united states uk
1: on CNBC.com.
4: Right. The headline from Siemens is that they will not pay a dividend for 2022, citing a widening let last and challenges related to Siemens Gamesa yet again. Let's get to Christian Bruch, who is the CEO of Siemens Energy. Christian, so many wider issues to ask you. But first of all, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Secondly, why are the problems at Siemens Gamesa ongoing and will absorbing the group fully into Siemens Energy, will it solve those problems?
5: Yeah, good morning. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, we see 22 uh, once again as a year, not unexpected, where we are really in the center of the energy transition with a part of the business really performing excellently well. We see that we are in the heart of the energy transition and we see also the challenges in wind. And uh, we see obviously ourselves confronted with the supply chain challenges, what we have and what we still, since the pandemic, see how difficult it is. And never forget renewables like wind roughly, roughly need 10 times the material what conventional technologies need. So if you have problems with the supply chain, it hits the wind extremely hard. And this is what we see and this unfortunately obviously leads to the situation that it impacts the overall group results substantially. However, I think we have seen now that we have initiated all the relevant measures and with Jochen Eichold have a person on board who's step after step Uh, tackling the different elements going forward and I'm confident that we can tap into this mid-term and long-term fantastic potential of wind which is there and to be crystal clear energy transition without wind energy does not work and that is something which gives me the confidence that we have a really nice set of portfolio elements together and we will turn it around and make it a nice profitable business.
4: It was almost a decade ago, I think it was 2013, when I met Peter Loescher in, of all places, Margate. Uh, You'll know why, of course, because there's a big uh, array just off the coast. Uh, It was interesting getting Peter down there, but he said, look, unless this industry improves its profitability on the turbines, we're toast and we've got about a decade to prove ourselves. Is the industry so much better in terms of its cost structure now? Has it proven itself?
5: In terms of the wind industry, I think there's still a way to go in terms of, how shall I say, mature itself as an industry. How do you manage that business? How do you manage long-term risk? And also between our customers, the operators and ourselves, how do you distribute risk along the supply chain in a world which is much more volatile, much more difficult, much more multilateral than before? And I think this has changed and this needs to be discussed. Um, So there are certain elements which the industry has to fix themselves. What do I do myself? What do I do jointly? Where do I source from? How do I manage volatility and supply chain? And there are certain elements where the market needs to fix certain things. Um, How do we get a long-term planning in terms of build-out of renewables? How can we shorten the approval times for projects, which take far too long? Um, How also we distribute risk between the operators who make good profits at the moment with with the wind operations they have and the suppliers of the OEM equipment like us. This is this discussions which we will need to have over the course of the next 12 months to drive this business forward. But there's no question if we don't resolve it as an industry, we are missing a substantial part of the energy transition and will fail with the energy transition. So there is no option but to fix it.
0: Christian, can I ask you a slightly different question? We had um, another uh, CEO of an energy business on in Europe not that long ago who described the energy policies that we're currently seeing unfolded in Europe as chaotic. On the one hand, there is this uh, drive to move away from Russian gas and Russian energy, but there is also this obscuring of of price signals through um, uh, fixed-price Uh, limits that uh, want to be uh, implemented to obviously punish the Russians and keep down the cost to consumers. And then we've got this whole slew of subsidies in different countries that amount to huge numbers uh, when you look at them and again make the pricing signal difficult to determine. How, How would you define the current slew of new energy policies that we're seeing Brussels and governments enact?
5: Well, I would at least, I wouldn't not necessarily call it chaotic. I would call it maybe non-effective yet, right? And this is something what we see. We have to uh, understand that we need enormous amount of capital flowing into the energy infrastructure now and really move forward. And this is I'm not seeing yet clear enough steered and really clear enough triggered. In comparison, and that is obviously where everybody looks to at the moment, if I look on the Inflation Reduction Act, and you can say about it what? What you want but it is very very effective to drive investments also to drive private capital into the energy infrastructure sector and this is proven now really to move the things forward this i'm not seeing in europe there is right debates ongoing but uh, rightly so there's also not yet the coordinated effort which would really drive the investment to the level we need to to build out the electrical grids to build out the renewables also to drive efficiency, which nobody should forget. If we do not drive more efficiency, we will struggle with the energy transition. This I'm not seeing in Europe, and I can only encourage that we get our act together because time is really running out for fixing the energy transition.
0: Christian, we are got to say goodbye, but thank you so much for that. Christian Brook, the CEO of Siemens Energy. Zurich says it aims to raise its operating uh, profit. Zurich Insurance's uh, profit after tax return on equity to above 20% as part of its new financial targets unveiled ahead of its Investor Day. The insurance group says it is also looking to grow its earnings per share to 8% by 2025. Let's get to CEO Mario Greco. Uh, Mario, good to see you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Will the 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 tone uh, seems to have changed for the insurance market here. Companies uh, are finding it easier to impose premium hikes and actually are not reporting excessively large hits to profits. Give us a sense how your quarter has run and how you think 2023 will look.
2: Um, Yeah, I mean, the last three years... uh, have proven uh, uh, to be full of uh, unexpected developments and so we've been extremely careful on our risk management and risk appetite Um, and uh, although we have helped customers uh, uh, during the pandemic during the catastrophes we managed to keep our profits uh, uh, at plan And so, by the end of the year, we expect to exceed the plan targets of three years ago. 2023 should continue uh, being a profitable year for commercial insurance, and we expect an improvement in the retail business profitability, which has been very subdued over the past two years.
1: Mario, I just want to pick up on one of the comments from the presentation that you've reduced capital and earnings volatility. It's still an incredibly volatile environment out there, we're seeing it on a daily basis covering markets. Just tell us about how the strategy can separate out from what we're seeing on markets.
2: Um, um, We use data extensively. Uh, One of the things where we have become quite good at over the past years has been to use the data to understand uh, the risks uh, that we're bearing on our balance sheet and manage these risks properly. Uh, That proved quite effective and uh, we trust that we have the capacity to continue doing that. Our biggest exposures are not really to the financial markets, but are to the underwriting risks Um, Meaning that uh, um, the balance sheet uh, takes a lot of exposure for catastrophes, for natural events, uh, for things uh, which will impact our customers. And we're very, very prudent and careful in managing these risks, especially these days where climate change is clearly impacting uh, the planet.
4: Mario, very interesting. We're talking about the repricing of money. And in your answer to Jeff's question, it is true that the premium environment has improved. But what about the investment side of the business as well? Now, of course, higher rates, longer term are good news. But has there been a lot of volatility that's affected the business negatively on the investment side of the business with the current turmoil in financial markets?
2: Um, We run the assets uh, uh, on on par with liabilities. So, you know, typically these two things uh, have a um, parallel shift. And so we have not suffered too much on the financial sides because they move together, assets and liabilities. Um, And uh, yes, I mean, we do see improvements for us if uh, the yields uh, stay at the level they are. But let's also remember that the yields are now uh, slightly positive. So we moved from negative yields to slightly, uh, slightly positive yields, which is a good thing, but it's still uh, slightly positive.
0: So, Mario, what what next here? Because you've been at the business for a few years, we know, and you came in and you were effectively brought in to restructure the operation and make it more efficient. And here we are this morning catching up with you and we're talking about the improved uh, top line, we're talking about the improvement in the targets, we're talking about uh, ultimately the solvency levels being strong. Is there a deal uh, going forward for Zurich to... bulk up the business to achieve some of the longer-term ambitions that you're laying out?
2: Um, Look, uh, we make our plans just based on our strength, uh, on our organic uh, developments. And these plans are strong enough, as you see. I mean, return on equity in excess of 20%, I think it will be a world record for any insurance company to achieve these kind of results. Uh, We keep growing our business. Uh, uh, We gained four and a half million customers um, over the last uh, three years, which is the size of a medium-sized insurance company, and we just did it in three years. Um, So we don't need deals, but we are in the market, and we have made a number of deals over the past years, um, and as soon as we find opportunities, uh, we have the capacity to go for them, but we don't need to.